0: Well, everybody, we have spent about two months studying through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and it's been a real adventure for me. I feel like I've learned a lot. Now, I know many of us, maybe you've seen that intermittently or this is your first time, so I just want to give you a quick catch-up. It's about 50 AD, and Paul is writing to a church that he started months before in a Greek city called Thessalonica. And this city is filled with Greek people. It's part of the ancient Greek Roman Greek empire, and it's now overseen by the Romans. And they are learning how to be followers of Jesus. So one of the main emphasis of this book is Paul's teaching them about a new way to be human. And here's what he's going to talk about in the closing sections of the book. He's going to talk to them about a new way of thinking about what the church actually means. Now, I'm excited for anybody who's spiritually unresolved because when we read this text, I hope that it's gonna open your eyes a little bit. I rarely meet people that are opposed to the person of Jesus, but I often meet people that have had an experience with the church that has been harmful or hurtful, and one of the things that keeps you unresolved is you're just not sure that you trust the church. Paul is going to give us a new perspective on what the church was really meant to be. Now, for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, this is going to be a very poignant reminder, and the timing is incredible, as Paul reminds us what the church is supposed to do, what's it, what it is supposed to be. Now, one of the things that Paul is going to remind us is this, is that when you're a follower of Jesus, there are two aspects to your relationship with him. The first is what we typically think of. It is the vertical relationship that we have with Jesus. This is our spiritual devotion. This is us focused on God. But Paul is going to say this. He's going to say part of being human as a follower of Jesus is that there are also these lateral relationships that are incredibly important. He says you can't just think of following God as as just me and God. He's going to bring into the picture this whole idea that these relationships with other people are spiritual and they are very significant. So let's turn our attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Just because of time, we won't be able to read the whole thing. I'd encourage you to do that later. Let's start at verse 12. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you hold them in high regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Now, I want to pause there for a moment. I know that this probably feels a little bit funny. Um, I'm a church leader, and I'm going to talk about Paul's words on church leaders. But Paul tells us this. He says, I want you to acknowledge leaders. So this word acknowledge is to recognize, is to partner with. But he doesn't mean this. So acknowledge doesn't mean this. Doesn't mean that you give leaders celebrity status, that they kind of are in a realm of their own. There's a certain ah prestige. That's not what this means at all. Acknowledge those. So Paul says, here's the leaders you want to acknowledge. And he lists three things. Those who work hard among you. Okay. So the leaders that we want to recognize are not leaders that lord over people, right? Jesus taught this through his, his life, but it's those who work hard among you. So they're the leaders who are engaged with people. Secondly, he says, I want you to acknowledge leaders who care for you in the Lord. So it's not leaders who are aloof, but those who work hard among you and then care for you. So healthy leaders, right, are leaders that, Literally care. Their heart, their compassion, their empathy is for the people. And then he lists a third thing. He says, I want you to acknowledge those who work among you, care for you in the Lord. But thirdly, I want you to acknowledge those who admonish you. Now, that's not a word that we use very often. Admonish literally means to correct. It's often used in Greek for parenting, where a kid gets off track. And the parent admonishes, meaning that you bring them back on track. And so Paul says this, here's the leaders that you want to respect. Has nothing to do with their title, right? It has nothing to do with the outfit they wear. You want to respect leaders who are among you, who care for you, and then who are willing to admonish you. That means to bring loving correction when we get off track. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to live at peace together. And you'll notice he uses the term brothers and sisters. He's gonna use it multiple times because he's saying, hey, as the church, let's live at peace with each other. Let's not have fractures with leadership, but let's function as a family, as brothers and sisters. Now, let's go on. I wanna to get to point number one. Let's pick it up at verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Paul is now going to give us very specific instructions for these relationships in the church. And this is a a radically new way of being human, of, of living our lives. So we start with this. He says, number one, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Um, he uses the same word that we translate admonish. So it's a warning. It's, it's stepping in. It's intervening with people who are idle and disruptive. So these are the people in the world. And there have always been people that have struggled in the world, right? Um, some of us, we come from the backgrounds where we we're given a really great start in life. We had helpful parents. A lot of us, we kind of start in a deficit And Paul says, people who are idle and people who are disruptive, here's what I want you to do. I want you to step towards them. I want you to warn them, okay? So it's not isolate yourself, because I'll just be really frank right now. One of my tendencies is that when I find someone is idle, it bothers me. When I find someone is disruptive, that bothers me. And if I'm not careful, what I do is I distance myself from them. I don't enjoy being around them. But here's what Paul says. In the church, okay, in this loving community where people are focused on God, we're going to work these relationships out this way. I want you to step towards people who are broken, not ignore them. In fact, my observation would be this. Over the last couple decades of serving in the church, oftentimes our dysfunction in the church is because we don't do this. We're so afraid of hurting people's feelings. We're so afraid of being offensive that oftentimes we let idleness and we let disruptive people continue to be idle and continue to disrupt. And Paul says that is not the most loving thing to do. I want you to step forward. So I believe Paul's saying something like this. <laughs> people who are idle means, you know, they're passive and, and they're not contributing. I think Paul wants us to step forward and say, I love you, but you need to get a job. And I am willing to help train you. I'm willing to help you get the right clothes for the interview. I am willing to help you get to the place where you're no longer idle to disruptive people. We start this way. I love you. Your relationships are chaos. You're offensive. You hurt people. And I am willing to walk with you I am willing to coach you. I am willing to teach you how to forgive. This is really what we call discipleship. So Paul says in these relationships where we say these people are idle, these people are disruptive, we don't ignore them. We don't talk about them. Paul says step towards them, warn them, work with them so that they can develop and become strong. And then he adds to it this. He says, and you're going to need to be patient with everybody right? So let me give you an example of this. Years ago, I was invited to speak at the weekend services at a church. And it was a pastor who I just, I had the utmost respect for. It was a very large church. And they had a Saturday night service and then Sunday night services, uh, Sunday services. And the beauty of being a guest speaker is you can bring your best teaching, your best illustrations, like it's, here's everything I got. So I'm excited, I worked very diligently and the pastor was named Ted Roberts. So the Saturday night service came and went and I felt like I did about as good a job as I could but I approached the pastor after Saturday night service and I said, hey, Pastor Ted, is there anything that you'd like me to do different for tomorrow's services? Now, I've asked numbers of other pastors that before and they all just pat you on the back and go, oh no, that was great. Ted Roberts looked me in the eye and he goes, as a matter of fact, yes, follow me. And he took me into his office and he took the message that I had just taught and he did something that no one had ever done to me. He said, hey, this was insensitive. This didn't have grace. This was confusing. This didn't make sense. And so he, this is the word. He warned me. He stepped into my life and I'll tell you what I did. Man, it it stimulated me. They had me in a hotel. I went home that night. I worked on that message until the wee hours of the morning. I went back and taught it on Sunday morning. And after I was done, I was much more nervous. I looked over at him after teaching and he did this. (laughs) That's what we need from people. But I have to be willing to say, well, what if it's me who's disruptive? (laughs) What if it's me? who's idle. So Paul says, create an environment where we're stepping towards people, not not in a punitive fashion, but we're stepping towards people, helping them to get better. Okay, Paul then moves on to a whole other group of relationships. He says, I want you to encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and then be patient with everyone. So what does this mean, encourage the disheartened? Well, I love this word in Greek. Here's what it would literally mean. It would mean those who have little soul, okay? So because of life circumstances, because of pain, negativity, whatever it might be, that our souls, which are supposed to be expansive, this is the unseen part of who we are. This is the part that when God created Adam in Genesis 2, he breathes Ruha, which is his wind or his breath. He breathes into Adam the soul that pneuma in Greek is also wind. And so it's people whose souls have been deflated over time. So I, I don't know how else to illustrate this except for with a balloon. So think of the current environment we're in, think of some of the challenges our culture is facing. I think there are a whole bunch of us who are feeling like this empty balloon. My soul's deflated. I feel like my joy is gone. I feel like my hope is gone. I, I feel empty inside. And here's what Paul says. He says, I want you to encourage. I want you to blow into diminished souls the very breath of God. So this is part of the ministry of the church. Ready? I just love this picture that you and I have the opportunity to find people whose souls have been diminished and to breathe new life into them. So it's not just those who have disheartened souls. Paul also says this. He says, I want you to help the weak. So the whole philosophy of social Darwinism says actually the strong will eventually dominate the weak and the people who are weak, that's kind of their problem. Paul says, in the church, it's different. In God's economy, the strong move towards the weak. In the weak, it's the people who are vulnerable. It's the people who are poor, challenged, sick of soul, sick of body. And what a great word during this time. Paul says, those of you who have strength in your lives right now, Move towards weak people. Help them find strength. And he says, and as you do that, here's one of the things you're gonna need. You're gonna need to know that you're gonna have to be patient. He says, I want you to have patience for all people. I think breathing life into diminished souls and helping the weak, one of the things that we have to remember is this is not a moment in time. This is not something we do once. To build someone's life, takes time, effort, partnership. It's a continual process that we're called to participate in. Now, when when I'm weak, okay, when my soul is diminished, here's what I want. I want everybody to have patience with me, right? Like, hey, just have patience with me. I'm kind of hurting right now. I'm kind of down. When I'm the strong one, I look at people who are diminished of soul or weak, and I kind of want to say, hey, pull it together. Let's get moving. You know, put on your boots. Let's go ahead. Paul reminds us that we're going to need to be patient with people. Very few human beings change overnight. But he says, I want the church to be a place where weak people become strong people, where people with small, diminished souls become filled once again and it's us moving towards need and it's trusting the god of process that over a period of time people can find health and he he adds into this section an interesting thought he says i don't want you to pay back wrong for wrong so this is like introducing a brand new economy because Human tradition, any culture is this. (laughs) What happens? If you wrong me, I'm going to run you back, right? Uh, In ancient times, it was war. It was violence. It's not always like that now. Somebody wrongs me. I'm going to wrong you back through what I type on my computer, through what I say about you to other people. And Paul says this, in this new community, right, this Jesus-created community, we're not going to pay back wrong for wrong. And this, ladies and gentlemen, this is a radical invitation, Because even in the church, I I think very few of us actually practice this. It is so difficult when I'm wrong to look at the words that Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 5, where he doesn't just ask me to be a pacifist. He asks me to be an activist. He says, I want you to love your enemies. It's not ignore them, but he says, I want you to move towards people who even despise you. And so Paul is telling these Thessalonians who have always been taught, you get equal through revenge. He says, let's not repay wrong for wrong. Let's start a brand new way of responding to human pain and and, and strive, he says, to do what is good for others. So pull. When you're wrong, put on a different attitude and strive to do what is good for others. Now, this moves us to our, our final verses, which... I have to admit, when I speak about these things, it's going to seem a bit awkward, okay? So we're in the midst of this whole COVID-19, all of these challenges, but this is what Paul says. I want you to rejoice, I want you to pray continually, and I want you to give thanks in all circumstances, okay? Rejoice, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Well, I don't know about you, but the last couple weeks, I would say, you want me to rejoice? Stock market has lost a lot of money. I am stuck in my stinking home, okay? Um, I can't do the things I normally do. I'm watching the economy implode. I'm hearing things, stories throughout the world of people who are dealing with this horrible illness. I'm frustrated by decisions that are being made or not being made. I get it. That is actually very normal, right? But Paul says this, okay? Thessalonica wasn't perfect. He says, okay, here's what's gonna be different about the followers of Jesus. This is a brand new way of being human. Is that when it comes to rejoicing, rejoicing is not something where I'm passive. So so here's, here's our typical understanding of rejoicing. Is that here I am and I'll rejoice when I'm, all the good things that I want happen to me. (laughs) When the stock market recovers, when there's a vaccine for COVID-19, when I get my job back, when all the good things happen that I need to happen in my mind, that's when we rejoice. Rejoicing in the Bible, rejoicing what Paul's talking to us about is not something we are passive at. In fact, the way Paul speaks about rejoicing is actually a command. It's formulated structurally, saying rejoice now. We might say, well, well, not now. That's the worst time to rejoice. I don't feel like rejoicing. Rejoicing isn't an issue of how I feel. It is an act of obedience. It's an act of volition. And it's a response to me understanding a bigger picture. So how are we going to rejoice? Here's why we rejoice. Everything may look crazy crazy out there. But God is good. He still loves us. I just took a breath. I ate a meal today. God is overseeing things. I can trust him. And so my rejoicing, okay, is an act of obedience. I say, God, even though I don't understand things, I choose this. I choose to rejoice. I choose to look for the beautiful things. Sometimes it's easy to rejoice, right? Uh, Sunday afternoon, I was taking a walk with my beautiful wife, Jenny, and we were up at Swords Park, and it it was a warm day. Um, The sun was shining, and as I'm walking down the trail with her, I look behind, and I'm looking at Billings. I said, Jenny, we, we need to take a picture of Billings from up here and put it on my wall in my office and just help me pray for the city every day. Just, it was easy to rejoice. Paul says, Those aren't the moments when you rejoice. That's natural. Rejoice means, God, when I'm confused, I trust you. I believe that you're good in the midst of it. Then he says, pray continually. So, um, some of us have more time on our hands than we ever have before. What does it mean to pray continually? Personally, as someone who kind of struggles with focusing, I'm glad he doesn't say pray continually for two hours a day or an hour a day or a half hour a day. Paul says, here's what I want you to do. It's part of being filled with joy. He says, I want you throughout your day, just be dialoguing with God. Right? So when you hear somebody sneeze, it's a new reality, right? Ah. Well look at anybody who's got allergies right now and like, what is wrong with you? No, no, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna take those moments, I'm gonna pray for that person. I'm gonna pray for that person that's passing me in my car. I'm gonna pray for the houses I go by. That's the type of prayer life that Paul's inviting us into. And then lastly, he says, and I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. So trying to put this into action this week, um, if I watch the news, I don't find a lot of things to be thankful for, but I found that if I can just sit with God, I find that even though there's chaos in today's world, there is so much for me to be thankful for. What a radical perspective. Now, I want to close with this. Here's what I am most passionate about regarding this section of Scripture. Paul is, is, is reminding us of these relationships with human beings. Okay? He's saying this is a very sacred part of being a follower of Jesus. And he is not writing any of these words to the leaders in the church. All of these words are being written to ordinary, everyday disciples in Thessalonica. So it's to these ordinary disciples that he is saying... I want you to move towards the weak. I want you to warn those who are idle, who are disheartened. I want you to breathe life into souls that have been diminished. I want you to help the weak, and I want you to be patient. This is what's beautiful. This is a picture of the church. This is a church that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because it's about people who follow Jesus. And they are responding. They're doing this work. They're valuing human relationships in their neighborhoods, in their family context. One of the things that has been incredibly revealing to me during this time, our typical church structures are not working as well. We typically would have dozens of people come into our offices saying, I need help. I need that. Nobody can come into our offices anymore. It's because we're getting back to what I think Paul had painted out for us, is that Ladies and gentlemen, for any of you who are watching you you know Jesus, you follow Jesus. You're the church. You're the one who gets to breathe life into someone's diminished soul. You're the one who gets to move towards a week. You're the one who gets to warn people who are in difficult places. This is a church that can literally change the world. 24 hour a day, seven day a week church. It's not just like a campus in Sydney. It's a campus in every neighborhood, wherever you're at. You're a campus right now. You are the church. You're the leader. You are the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we approach you and we ask for grace and wisdom and strength. Lord, I want to pray for everybody who is disheartened right now. Our souls have just, they've lost vitality and we feel empty. In the name of Jesus, would the breath of God fill us once again? We take in this dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit where we can rejoice regardless of our circumstances. We can pray continually. We can give thanks regardless of what's happening. Lord, I pray for any of us who are weak. Lord, connect us with someone who's strong. Help us move towards strength. Lord, with the church, in a way that has rarely been seen during our lifetimes, would it move forward into something that is more beautiful and more effective than what we have ever seen before? God, give us grace and wisdom during this time. We love you. We choose to rejoice in you. Amen, amen. Hey, everybody, God bless you. If you need anything, please come to our webpage. Um, Go to somebody in the church who's strong. They're there for you. I'm very, very excited about our next gatherings together. We get to start celebrating Easter. So we've got a great plan for Good Friday, for Palm Sunday next week, and for Easter celebrations. Have a fantastic week. You are loved.